Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Salt Mine. This is episode 12, perhaps our last episode of the split. I guess it depends on whether you count the promotion tournament as this split or the following split. But it's going to be our last split about the playoffs at the very least. My name is Gordo. I am joined by Nyarko, TDS, and rejoined by Bonfire. Welcome back after quite a few weeks away. About a split away, I guess we could call it. Here to gloat yeah. about the Dignitas performance. <laughs> maybe. Maybe just a little. I, I do, I, I you know, I'll leave most of it till later. But that is kind of my, as, you know, Slayer, who also hasn't been here for a while. As he would normally say, I have a lot of my real name, Lucas takes. He says he calls them Lucas takes when I say something bad. But this was a good Lucas take. This was a bonfire take. Proud of it. <laughs> we'll rename it for only when it's correct. <laughs> yep. And then you look back at the bonfire takes and they're like, damn, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We'll see if I have any more. Some of the, I Looking back at some of my predictions, I also have some bad ones. But... Yeah, yeah, I'm proud of that one, that specific one. But it's good to be back. Jokes aside, it is good to be back, and um, I'm ready to talk, gentlemen. I'm, I'm very ready to talk about what happened. I know we've been we've been putting off starting this one for a while. We've been talking in the Discord for like half an hour. So yeah, we're, we can definitely get started here. So let's we'll have plenty of stuff around the scene to talk about. We got to talk about MVP. We got to talk about CLG TSM news. But let's talk about the series that closed out the season here first. Biggest series of the ye the split i want to say the year but you know summer could have some bigger series still ahead of us let's start off with losers finals which was between team liquid and cloud nine where our greatest fears came true you know we talked about last uh last week a little bit like if tl just gets slammed here it probably means that uh you know just the talent gap might be a little bit too high and cloud nine and dignitas being filled with former lcs players uh were maybe just destined to reach the finals and it does end up working out that way tl doesn't really manage to level up quite enough to take down c9 here uh and c9 does show up back in the form that i'm more used to seeing from them they look a lot better across this week uh leading to their eventual win so let's start off with tl versus c9 what you guys think of this series well, before we talk about the series, I want to say hats off to Team Liquid. Obviously, I'm a huge Team Liquid fan, but from ninth to, to third, it was, a, it was an incredible split from them. And that's after losing most of their team, uh, the bottom half of their squad, um, to the LCS. You know, Ayla, Jan, um, Harry, all going to the LCS and becoming stars in their own right. Ayla not as much, but everyone else. And so it's incredible to see what they had done. Um, we'll talk more about Team Liquid, uh, spoiler alert, as this podcast goes on, um, because they had some incredible standout players, but unbelievable stuff from the Team Liquid boys. Um, and you really have to go to the coaching there. Um, Spawn staying there, uh, managing this team. And uh, I think that at the beginning of the split, we talked about EG and C9 having some of the best talent um systems in the lcs or, or in north america and i think team liquid has to be up there now as one of the best talent creation uh, in north america and i would in my in my case i'd argue number one at least on the nacl front lcs uh, you know yeah, we can talk they, about that a different day they brought people to the lcs i mean you know <laughs> i'm just talking about bringing people all the way the from korea yeah exactly <laughs> all right all right that's fair <laughs> But isn't that like the best uh, academy you can bring from just Korean players and make them play the best possible? That That's a pretty commendable, I guess, to a certain degree. I will say, though, I 
Uh, as the biggest TLC believer, this series hurt me to my soul because I, I really think they could have done it. Like, I, I think that the difference between Cloud9 and TLC wasn't that big in, in my eyes. But the biggest thing is that for some reason, TLC stopped playing with their biggest, like, win conditions in that series. Over-prioritizing Annie, stopping from giving a lot more damage-oriented champions to, to APA, and then... They played for their objectives like they were doing all split long. Something that we were we talked about last week, how they were consistently controlling objectives over on the bot side, and they still did in this series. But like their utilization with those objectives without the damage coming in from the mid lane that, that they were knacking, felt like they never had an extra like plan to follow up through there. And I think Bradley had a much better series than in their previous series against Fear. Well, I do think Bradley looked pretty good in lane. Um, you know, he held up well against Fake God all in all, I would say. I do, like, I find it strange, and it's kind of hard to, maybe I should have reviewed the series a little bit more before coming out to record this podcast, especially <laughs> with all the downtime we had, but I didn't. So, I'm gonna talk in, in hypotheticals and, and assumptions here. There were so many fights that Cloud9 gets to take 5 versus 4 versus Team Liquid without Bradley present. Like, that is what blows open the game in nearly every game, even in the game that they win uh, in Game 2. Like, there are multiple 5 versus 4s without Bradley that give what was an early lead for TL back over to C9. Um, and then, like, Diplex shows bot, and T Team Liquid ends the game from 7k down. Uh, <laughs> that was super weird, but... And for that reason, I kind of think this should have been a 3-0 for C9. Like, I don't think C9 should have lost that game, too. I think they were back fully in control and just, you know, Diplex shows spot at the wrong moment. And TL pulls the trigger, and they close it out. And that's something they've always been good at. So, you know, they deserve the credit for, for finding their win condition and capitalizing. But that's the thing. I've been so critical of Bradley all season. And it's... It, this is, like, the one time that I don't just want to be like, oh, Bradley's underperforming. Like, it's... It's not like he's not TPing. It's like Cloud9 were able to force angles where Bradley could not join. You know, they've capitalized on TP being down. They capitalize on fights where, uh, you know, they pull the trigger just a little bit too fast and there's nothing that a TP can do to turn it around. Um, so I am more tempted to give that, like, as a as a credit to C9 rather than Team Liquid misplaying. Um, but yeah, it is those five versus four odd-numbered fights that let Cloud9 pull themselves back into it, even though they do tend to fall behind in the early games as Team Liquid is still able to execute that game plan with Mir. Exactly, and I think that's one of the things that, that surprised me the most because when you also look at the first game, there could have been a 2-0 for TLC for the first two games that's with true. how it went because even though the first game does start better for C9, like just a couple of fights here and there that changed that I want to give credit to C9 because I think that TL overcommit for things that they don't really need to and in a point in the first game where they were like just composition wise they were ahead they just needed to play that better and they could probably could pull it off but that could have been a 2-0 start for TLC in that series and I think that just with the momentum probably can pull it off but like you're saying Cena just managed it out better and it really just showcased differences in teams even though I do think that they were closer than probably expected initially they did showcase the difference in teams really, in those situations where it just went much more in favor of C9 and And it really just kind of feels like in retrospect that 
TL didn't have much of a chance as tragic as it is because there's kind of two ways that you can read that second game. One of them is the, Oh, you know, if TL from there on forward was more competitive, you could look at that game as a turning point in the series. It shows TL's classic charisma, classic tenacity that they can then kind of leverage into deeper runs. But as it currently stands, I think that this is, not a fitting end for TLC because they did impress up until this point, but it is the expected outcome. And frankly, there was just so many elements that were going so cleanly in favor of C9 throughout that entire sp- series that, yeah, I'm surprised Gordo that this wasn't a three Oh, it's virtually a three Oh when you just look at the raw performances um, in particular, Diplex looked so good here. They had an incredible time in the laning phase or slightly post laning phase just amounting and really building up huge leads and from there it just felt like APA especially in the latter half of the series just never was able to bring the same level of utility to team fights or anything like that yeah for sure I think the the mid lane pool was super weird to me for team liquid also this series I think TDS is really onto something they're talking about the anti priority um that's a bit odd to me uh how much priority they put on the pick i mean i get that it's broken and a lot of teams are putting really heavy priority on it um but it just feels like so much of what got tl here and noting that the whole series was played on the same patch so much of what got tl here right was those like core three champions for apa the cassiopeia the ziggs and the ari um and we never see the ari this series uh the cassiopeia gets banned all four games the ziggs gets banned some games it gets through other games um and it gets picked in the final game, uh, and they're not really able to do anything with it. But I don't know, that just makes me feel like a little unsatisfied with Team Liquid. Uh, the fact that APA goes out playing two games of Annie and a game of Lissandra. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just feels like it's not really how they found success throughout this split. Even though, like, strategically they did. Um, you know, they still played their early game aggressive strategy. They still played around Mir. All of that was still there. Um but specifically the picks, I feel like they really did not give a chance for APA to be like that X factor that he's been uh, in some of their darker moments throughout this split. Yeah, I feel like this was almost a um, formality, like this was going to happen. It was crazy that they made it this far, but I feel like when I did watch Team Liquid um, when I could, it felt like there was always this impending cloud that like at a certain point, this squad that was you know, so new to each other and, and, and had a lot of them, you know, their first split in either the ch- in uh, Academy or their first split in NA. Um, in my eyes, at least, it just felt like at some point something was going to go wrong. And you need, as we saw from both of the teams that got top two, you need players who have been here before, who have been in these positions before. And I feel like those veterans can really help you out a lot. Um, and I think C9 just had that. I think you look at Cloud9's roster, um, you talked earlier about how it's a lot of former LCS players. When you have people have been in these high-pressure situations, they just know what to do when the pressure gets high. And um, I don't know. Diplex made a mistake. This was his first split. Um, obviously, that's how Team Liquid got their spot. But Fate God never really, st- uh, never really stumbled at all. And the rest of the C9 boys followed through. So I, I don't know. I feel like Team Liquid are actually going to be... I, I'm like my early prediction here. I think they're going to be top two in the regular season next split. I think they've got a really strong team. I just think they need a little bit more experience. And I think this was the series we saw that exp- that lack of experience come come out. Speaking about next split a little bit, you know, as we do our send off to Team Liquid here, um, 
I'm not. I, I yeah. I mentioned it before. Um, it's it's now starting to get into a little bit more of the mainstream discourse. I know I will dominate did a tweet about it. Um, Team Liquid Main should maybe be taking a look at Mirror here. Um, as maybe a promotion candidate, and that's the only thing that makes me hesitant to predict them super high next level. Although I guess World Champion Pioshik coming down to NA Academy <laughs> would certainly be an interesting one. Uh, in less than a year, in less than a year, it's crazy, man. Crazy. It happens. We'll say we did have Piglet and Phoenix playing in Academy for one moment, so Piglet already did it. Piglet did already Word do champion. it. It did happen. It, did. it happened a couple times, actually. Piglet went yeah. to Academy on Team... He went to Challengers on Team Liquid for a bit, and he also went to Academy on Clutch Gaming. Um, Good old times. Throwback, throwback <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I mean, jokes aside, I really do think Team Liquid should be paying a close eye to Mirror right now. I mean, he, he just won his most valuable prospect. We'll talk about controversy for that in a little bit. But I do think he's uh, quite good. Uh, I think he'd probably be solid in the LCS. Uh, Pioshik has been very unreliable for Team Liquid in the main team. And uh, Mir speaks Korean. Um, so he would uh, be still keeping with that strategy. I know they're they're very committed to Core JJ wants to come in Korean. So our whole team needs to speak Korean. So um, promoting APA and stuff, not really an option, assuming that they aren't abandoning that strategy in midseason. Um but Mir still is an option. I think Pioshik just needs maybe two more splits before he gets enough English to just become like a content creator or something. Because <laughs> you, you got to look at like his trajectory and think that there's no way that TL or anyone else in NA is going to be paying the contract that he most likely signed uh, this split coming in uh, after being world champion and whatnot. I could be wrong, right? I could be wrong, but it seems wild. He is on a one-year deal, by the way. Uh, I feel like this got really under-discussed in the offseason, but Summit and Pioshik are on one-year deals. Like, Team Liquid is really, like, they did not throw their full weight behind this plan. They were like, we're going to try it out first. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe for the best, given how their spring went. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Pioshik is not on a long-term deal. All right. Well, with that said, something to check out. Maybe we see Pioshik in... NACL next split. Um, let's move on to Cloud9 versus Dignitas, which ended up being our Ooh. our grand final. It was probably written up that way from the start, right? I mean, everybody um, could see it from their run to winners finals uh, to meet each other. These were the top two teams all season long, and they did not miss a beat the whole way through. Rallies from Team Liquid and FlyQuest and Fear aside. Um, and... A controversial end if you're Nyarko, which I'm sure he won't be able to help talking about here because they do end up going 4-4 four and four against each other in playoffs. They end up going 5-5 five and five against each other across the entire splits, and nobody ends up leading there for spring 2023. Um, but Cloud9, they do pull it back together. They do look more like their original selves than they did in the first series against Dignitas, and they end up taking it 3-1. Just to preface here, Gordo, you know, it isn't like you guys afforded me time or something during this part of the podcast to talk about the controversy, but you know, we'll get there for sure. Uh, I, I think it's probably best if we just start off by accessing the series as it currently stands in the three one that occurred. Fair enough. I think one thing that I wanted to quickly mention with the C9C Dixie final, like apart from the fact that I think it, it, it actually showcased how it should be expected because I feel like 
Dixie's win was more of an overperformance than them being better than CNT. I also think that CNT had a big overperformance in this last series, and it was Tomio. He performed way better than he has done all split bong. That was not the typical Tomio we saw, and I really think that he deserves the props because it really was difference maker in a lot of those games, the consistency that he brought. And then Diplex as well ends up playing really, really well the overall series. Like even giving away some of the champions that Insanity feels more comfortable playing with, he ends up just not caring at all and bringing forth his own pool to be able to fight him and win against him. So I won, like, I feel like Tomio deserves the biggest praise because of the really good series that he pulled up and then Diplex as well because he was really consistent and then here even after losing against the same player he comes back and just wins against him really convincingly yeah I almost want to like look at this series because you know you talked about how this was a rematch for both of these teams and sometimes that can almost break a team you lose to a team 3-1 th uh, fashion um honestly was not even that close in that series the first series um so you lose to them pretty convincingly, drop to the lower bracket, have to fend off a tough TL team. You could come up if you're seen on challengers and just kind of like lose it, lose your mental and just think like we, you know, we're lost from the get-go. But I, I think you highlighted perfectly TDS. Like this is a team that got their weakest performers to overperform. Um, they played Maokai incredibly well uh, and they played around that pick. And um, yeah, they found Tomio's little niche and, uh, I like best of fives because it's almost a little microchasm of a, of a split, right? It's not the entire split's worth of metas and ever-evolving champion pools. It's one best of fives. Like, let's find out how we want these five games to look. And they figured it out first, right? They found out the Maokai. Dig didn't really seem to catch on. Uh, and they found the picks that work best. And they were just better on the day. So huge congrats to C9C because making your way through the lower bracket and winning it is not easy at all. But they did. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for sure about the difference in performance versus the first uh, series they played against each other. I think Fate God especially, you know, you have to look at having a massively different performance against Hoon in this final um, than he did in the Winterside final. Um, particularly that game three, right? They give Hoon the Jace. Fate God plays the Renekton into it and holds his own uh, just fine. You know, he's able to be a flanker in the later game. He's able to be successful. He doesn't give up any kills or even any uh he doesn't give up any deaths period to uh to anybody on dignitas and he doesn't give over any gold the whole team doesn't give over any kills or assists to hoon in particular and hoon's jace has been like something that nobody was letting through like hoon the last time i went to check the statistics which was like coming into top six i think hoon had there there was a hundred percent ban rate on hoon's jace like nobody was willing to give hoon this champion uh given how dominant he's been in lane with it and across the board uh and they give it over in this game three and cloud nine still manages to win and at that point it's like oh wow all right so the the rules of engagement against dignitas so far have been well you gotta ban the jace and now that those are out the window it like it really gives cloud nine the opportunity to to crunch down and take the series and the other side of the coin for things that you have to do in run of show versus Dignitas is respect insanity. Uh, one of the top prospects, I think, 
in the league and someone that we've highlighted very consistently throughout the regular split alongside playoffs. But here he's up against Diplex, who I think we all collectively agree should not be in NACL whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, for as much as there was kind of a narrative arc in the top side of the map where, you know, Dig Challengers comes out the win game one, who looked really good in their own right on a Renekton pick of their own. Um, and Fake God maybe was struggling a little bit, I believe, on Cassante. Um, but you know, eventually it started to turn into fake God handling, I think, the pressure a lot better. Tomio as well, I think, was able to rally with that top jungle continuity quite nicely to just put a little bow on that uh, discussion that we've been having since the beginning of the season. But, you know, mid lane, Diplex was never off. Uh, Diplex was just constantly a central source of carry potential for C9C. And if there's one player that I think from minute one knew what to do uh, in order to put dig down a peg, it was him. So congratulations to them for such an impressive performance. I really enjoyed seeing it. The other thing that really confused me this series was Dignitas is like, it felt like they really tunneled on this Draven pick into the Zeri. Um, yeah, they played Draven all three of the first games. They played in their win as well. And I, I mean, I was saying even coming into game two, I'm pretty sure there's evidence for it in the in our Discord chat here. <laughs> even coming into game two, I was like, you got to get spawned off this Draven, man. Like, this is not... In, in Even in game one, he's 5k gold ahead of anybody else on the map because he gets that one big Draven shutdown after farming all game. He gets like 2,000 gold off of a single kill. Um, 1,600, by the way. Of That was just the cash out, too, plus the 300 for the kill, mm -hmm. right? Oh, so okay, it was, okay, yeah. yeah, so it was 1,900. 2,000 gold, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a lot of freaking money off one kill, let's say that. Um, oh. I think it was on Tomio or on Fake God or somebody he gets it on. Uh, and even at that point, right, he's like a full item and a half ahead of everybody else on the map, and he is just like not finding angles to step up and throw axes at people. It is like, it is still like tough for them to win the game, even when their Draven is that far ahead. And after that, I was just like, I, I don't know if this Draven is it for Spawn. I think he needs his range. I think he needs his, like, peel tools and stuff. I, you know, he's looked way better on stuff like the Aphelios and stuff throughout the season. Um, but instead, they run it back on the Draven for two more games, and it does not go that well in those games. Uh, and I think by the time they switch back, it's, like, a little bit too late. I don't know. that. Clearly, they like, something happened in scrims over the intermediary week or whatever where they were just – or, like – they think a lot of their recipe for beating Cloud9 was about shutting down Lost, because they did manage to take out Lost in their win and the winner's side finals. So, I don't know. One of the two, maybe both of the two in combination. Either way, uh, didn't love the Draven priority. Did not work out for them. I'm planting a flag right here right now for a future Spice Mine episode. I have many thoughts on Draven as a pick. I do think that it is almost mathematically always correct to prioritize this champion, particularly into something like the Zeri. But you have to perform on it. And Draven is a champion that I think has such bizarre boundaries as to like when you can go hard and when you have to sit back and just wait for an opportunity to get a big cash out. And unfortunately, because that's such a difficult water to navigate versus Zeri, where you got one opportunistic team fight where your team is peeling for you and you can press R and boom, all of a sudden you're, you know, five kills ahead. It's just kind of tough. And unfortunately, Dignitas just had other problems, other places where they were pressured, I think, throughout the series to where you couldn't focus on this Draven. You couldn't shot call and build a team around the Draven in the way that I was hoping to see and you know eventually the performance just not being there meant that 
it was a crucial mistake and one that I'm glad that Gordo highlighted because it just contributes to the fact that this ultimately was a pretty dominant series from C9 once again. Obviously not to the same degree as me saying and Gordo saying that it was a virtual 3-0 for C9 over TL, but certainly this does not look like the Dignitas that very similarly ransacked uh, C9's uh, champion pool and did such a great job putting them into losers in the first place. And I kind of want to mention the fact of the Draven here, or to bring forward with the fact of the Draven, because one thing that was so clear in the first game compared to the other two games is the way that Sinan handled it and the way that Dick handled it. Because on the first game, you can see that Dick put every bit of resources around Draven being a champion. Like, even without the shutdowns, right? They were pushing through Tier 1 and 2 bot lane, giving the gold to spawn as much as possible, even without any, like cashing from the Draven, the farm prioritization went to the Draven as well. And I think that they played around the botlane in a really effective manner, trying to deny as much as possible any angles that Sinane could find. I think that Sinane's comp wasn't necessarily bad, but I feel like uh, the way that they played around it to try and minimize the, the impact from the Draven wasn't really that great. When you see the the, the next games, like against the, against the Swain, Draven, even if he out attacks, he's going to be killing essentially a big... A drain shield that is just going to consistently be on top of you and then you add on top of that the soraka that was healing him so even though draven was trying to find value there was never ways for him to really max maxi magnify his damage i think that's the best word to use there and in the third game they shut him down completely so i feel like the throughout the series scene and managed to find the right ways to handle the draven much more so than they find the ways to keep the draven being an active factor and it really showed at the end when they had to pivot away from the Draven. Yeah, I think that's fair. And going back to the same way we talked about TL promotions, want to talk a little bit about a dig promotion here. I've brought it up before, um, but I think next split should be hone in time for Dignitas LCS, man. I mean, why not? Like, they're not... I don't think that this team is making a huge turnaround and is going to suddenly be, you know, best team in the LCS. I don't think they're going to be top six. I think they're very much at risk of not even being top eight. Give Hoonis chance, right? I mean, Armut's looked like probably the worst top in the LCS. Um, pretty close. He takes up the same import slot that Hoon would take up. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not crazy about these imports in Academy, but I guess if there's any place where it can work out, it's when they're behind an import in LCS. Uh I don't know, give Hoonies a chance. I mean, they got better with Spawn or subbing in with Tomio, and I think they could make another upgrade here at top. I think you bring them all in. I think you just go full Dig C roster in the <laughs> LCS. How much worse can you get than Dignitas, man? Dude, I said yeah, this I... at midseason. You weren't here, Bonfire, but that is what I said at midseason <laughs> when they decided to just sub in Tomio. I like, just put in the whole roster. Like, just... What are you going to do? It's You're already 0 and 9. You're not going to run, like, you're not going to win eight games and sneak into playoffs. Worst, uh, worst case scenario, they get 10th, which is exactly what they got this split. I don't see an issue. Win win scenario. I'm looking for the Moneyball style documentary film about how they just decide um, off of some general manager's whim, maybe from listening to this podcast, to just completely hard swap a roster like that. And all of a sudden they're top of the LCS or something. I think that would be beautiful. And, you know, Bonfire, you said that you had some Lucas takes that weren't paying off. But clearly you're on the Bonfire train all the way to the station when it comes to Dignitas. So, you know, I, I think this combined with the extra weight that our 
wonderful host with the most Gordo brings to the table uh, in his own statement about uh, the Dignitas swap. It, it's getting me on board, you know, just go crazy, blow the whole roster up. Why not? As the to try and be the reality check here, I remind you guys, they had to pay them a big, big salary to these players. I don't think any of the starting members from Dig are cheap. So yeah. I don't think they're blowing that up just because of the cost. I Well, so the cost, I think, actually might not be as much. Most contracts pay less when you're benched or on Academy. I'm pretty sure. Um, they but have that sort of clause? I, my understanding really is most of the contracts do have that sort of clause. But <laughs> I don't know if that's the case for Jensen and Santorin. And they're Jensen and Santorin, man. I think they'll probably yeah. like keep him in no matter what. I think I think Ignar might be on the chopping block. The only problem is that I I mean Diamond is out of the other four members of this team. I think Diamond is pretty low towards your list of people you want to promote up just cuz he's been around for so long and his last stint in LCS was not that great. Um mm -hmm. But I mean, I think he might be on the table as well. I think XU and Insanity Unlucky, unlucky roll there, boys. You're you're backing up Jensen and Santor, and they're probably gonna get stay. They're gonna be staying in no matter what. I think Jensen in particular. I think Jensen actually had quite a good split. I think he's just Elo held. So uh, I would like be, I would be surprised right. to see Jensen moved. Um, I will say, I will say, I don't think Dig is the only team. I want to say just quickly that this has been, I think, the most exciting. Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm watching it more because of this podcast, but I do think for casual fans and for the NA, you know, region as a whole, this split has been pretty amazing. And I'm not sure if that's because of the people have almost pa like paved the way. Um, you think of like Busio in the last split, like Busio, Ayla, Harry, Jan, all coming up being like really excitable prospects, almost like traditional sports, right? Like yeah. you, you get really excited to see your favorite teams draft players and bring them up to the best level. And you want to see how they do like potential. I feel like you hear that word a lot, potential, potential. And I feel like those four really brought forth the idea that like maybe you go young and you go local and good things can happen. And I feel like this split, you start to see the dividends because suddenly there's conversations about let's bring in, you know, let's bring up people before we import, which is, I think, awesome. I'm very excited to hear that. And it's not just like niche diehards like us. I'm starting, I'm just seeing casual people, you know, underneath team accounts on Twitter, you know, saying like, bring up this from the challengers it can't get much, much worse which is very neat and i think that's cool and it makes me happy yeah i think you got to give i think you got to give the credit to that to peter dunn first though i think jojo danny really started this trend but good point yes good yeah. point i but i do agree and i i hope it keeps on going especially 100 thieves got to rally at the end there i was getting kind of worried that it's like um and jan i think looks good too even though the rest of the team is not doing as well um but I was getting a little worried there for a little bit. I was like, oh man, all five of the rookies can't bust, right? That would be that would be really rough. And I and I don't think they did. I think Buzio really stepped up towards the end. I think Jan still looks good. Um Ayla's Harry. in a weird position where like he looks worse than Winsome somehow. I don't I don't know what's going on there. I hope he turns around as well. Yeah. I have three like three things to say now because of the Winsome thing, but just a quick thing. I have a theory that maybe Sprints just maybe just trying to pull down Ayla so that they bring back Winsome for some reason. But that's just like a, a theory. Prince is there. sabotaging Ayla. That's really I, I will say it happens. I've seen that in normal sports, so I know that that Prince could end up him. happening. Just, just, just saying it can happen. Like they do that a lot, particularly to coaches, but that can happen to players as well. The other thing I wanted to say 
I honestly forgot. I just wanted to say like. From how expensive Prince is, if you hear some talks about how much his contract is worth, I think Prince just has to ask nicely, and he could probably have win some in. I don't, yeah, I don't think honestly, he has to be going through this whole song and dance. Sense. But it takes away from the spiciness of why Ayla is not performing the best. <laughs> so I want to believe. I I want to keep my theory alive. And also, I wanted to say, like, you could be, you could be, like, you guys that want to see the talents prop up, like, in the normal, traditional way, see the all the, the good talent coming up through the pipeline, or be like me and just trial by fire, get a guy and throw them into the LCS and see what happens. Watch the world burn after that. That's the way that I want to see things. Just bring them up the harsh way. Let's go. EDS had three substantive points right there. Well, one of them was, I forgot, but, you know, two, substan yeah, two and a half substantive points <laughs> and somehow managed to dodge any amount of, like, specific Colombian soccer references throughout. So, you know, <laughs> props to yeah. him. Clearly, he's doing a good job keeping that under wraps. Um, but, you know, guys, we're, start we're talking a lot about, I think, players now. We're looking at the LCS prop. We're looking at endorsements people moving up and stuff but i really want to zoom back into this best of five really quick and i gotta say i don't think that c9c are the definitive champions of this nacl split man oh uh, is, is this the you say more is mr nyarko is this the the um the bracket reset argument this is coming in? this is certainly the bracket reset argument coming in i'm just saying man you don't win evo by coming from losers bracket and then winning one best of five you win evo by resetting the whole freaking bracket and winning two back-to-back -back best of fives and while yes it has been pointed out to me exhaustively on twitter that this is not really feasible from uh, a league of legends perspective i, I one I, actually i'm gonna say i think it's vaguely feasible with a wholly online format uh you know just add another day to the broadcasting it isn't like rally cry is doing anything better with their time um you know get get the reset going drum up hype right like have two days have the clips being advertised on twitter overnight you're gonna draw on a lot of viewers and whatnot um but honestly the, the other side of this whole thing and this may be the even like more hot take coming out of the I want a bracket reset or something similar. It's I don't like double elimination and I'm kind of convinced I don't like double elims now after this split. Why stop at two? Why stop at two series? What if it's a best of seven, best of seven, and they have to go, so they have to win four out of three best of sevens? I think that's I the best way to go. Best of 19. There we go. That's how we really determine when one the first to live or the last to be alive after being strapped to their chair no food no water league of legends there we go that's the true way i'm gonna do the debaterly thing here and come up as the prime minister in my rebuttal speech and be and say something along the lines of bonfire has clearly demonstrated the point i'm trying to make so i thank the opposition for this opportunity guys uh -huh. if we all admit that best of fives are not the best way to determine that a team is definitively the top of any single division or any single league why is it the case that we even have double elims because i don't think that it really adds to the argument that one team is definitively better than the other um if they go on a loser's bracket run if they go on a winner's bracket run etc etc just go back to single elim and then we could spin all the narratives we want and they're going to be a lot cleaner than anything we get from a situation where we don't have something like a bracket reset and you have fully split games between two teams at the top Jokes aside, I will say, Mr. Prime Minister, that I do respectfully di disagree with your position, just in the sense that I think that 
working your way up through the lower bracket, I think is difficult enough. I don't think that um, many teams do that. I'm like trying to, I'm struggling to rack my brain. I think G2 working their way up through the lower brackets, the only other team I could think of just off the top of my head. Um, but I, th- I don't like single elim because I think it's just one bad day can really ru- can ruin everything. And so I think this was a fine, I think it was the fine way to do it. I think it's unfortunate that they had to, you know, obviously see the same team twice, but it's happened before um, and it will happen again. And it's just, you know, just the way the bracket is. But I think this is the best way to do it when it comes to tournaments personally, me personally. I would be happy if we saw a true losers bracket run, but Bonfire, how many games did C9 actually play in losers bracket? They faced off against TL and that was it, wasn't it? Like, yeah, uh, unless I'm missing something, I just feel that that's not really a run. That isn't necessarily a substantively harder pathway to victory. And especially because of the proximity between C9 and Dig from their first series to their second series in playoffs. For me, the issue that I have is like, these aren't these aren't different teams, right? We aren't seeing a development or like a rallying point for C9 once they were sent to losers. They just beat a team that they were clearly better than and then they come back for another high variance best of five. And I think that, like I said before, we can all agree that a best of five isn't the best representative of like how a team actually performs. Um, and, but then they come back for that and then they end up winning and we crown them champions. It just feels bad, especially for Dignitas. Like, I think it's tough to really call out if it's the best or not the best way i feel like there's way too much varying opinions on this because like you're pointing out like they all, the argument i always like get to when they say why they don't like double limb is the fact that is it really fair to the upper bracket team because they play just one more series and then you get a two chances meanwhile the winner just get one and then you really cannot compare if it was really the advantage of that one day, whereas they get more extra time to play and get more warm and things like that. So I'm more, I will say, I'm more on the side of double lane because particularly because I really couldn't care less if if teams are going to play more or not, if they are going to be more relaxed or not, if they are going to get an extra chance or not, because there's like, and I've always said the, the same thing about sports, there's nothing fair. You just play, and whoever wins, wins. Whoever loses, loses. That's it. Fairness doesn't exist. Point. After that, you go into the into the actual bracket manner, and I feel like for trying to see who the better team was, it's closer to just single Elim. And that's really what I care about. I really couldn't care less about if, we, if, if Dixie should get an extra benefit or not. I want to see who the better team is. And Double Elim gives you a closer approach to who the better team is, because you're getting not only more chances to see teams perform, but also if C9C lost to Dixie alone, that means that the only real competitor to C9C was Dixie anyway. So even if they go against in the finals, and once again, if Dixie wins against them, then they are clearly a better team. But if C9 wins against them, then C9 should be contesting for that better team spot. Even if it's not fair for Dixie, it's still clear that either of the two deserve to be the best team. So it's not really like outrageous to think that CNC winning is unfair to DXC because it could have happened as well. It's kind of what I'm getting at with the best team to me, but that's my argument for why I like double elimination. So it's it's really difficult to to know what ends up being the best course of action. And honestly, I just care for, for having more games and more chances to see who the better team is. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think we'll, while we'll agree, I think a best of five isn't a perfect way to determine who the better team is overall. I think it's an effective way of determining who's the better team on the day. 
and that's really the best you can hope for unless you're gonna go like unless you're going for like a season-long format or something where you have to play a large number of games over a large period of time and generally um you know especially in an entertainment sports league like this the goal is you know to build up to that big moment where one team's gonna win and one team's gonna lose and you you know you know it based on the day rather than um you know, potentially locking it in earlier or playing a large number of games over a long period of time or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I will also say, I mean, I think the main benefit of the double Elon bracket, I think it's really more for the fans than for anything else in that a double Elon bracket should in theory guarantee you a more competitive final. Otherwise, you're at the risk of initial seeding having serious influence over the quality of your big end of season game. Um, as we've seen at Worlds a number of times, right? I mean, there's been a lot of World Championships where the real final was played in the semis, and the grand final ended up being very disappointing as a result. And I think double elim's a good way to avoid that. Um, so that's that's kind of where I come from on it as well. There's certainly ups and downs, but from a world's perspective, I don't think I would trade T1 versus DRX for anything, and I almost can guarantee you that that would not happen, right? That's a fallacy, though. You don't don't trade it for something else, right? If you had a double Elim bracket, then there would be some other six series in the lower bracket that we would all be talking about. Like, damn, man, imagine if single Elim denied us this series, like... There'd be a million series like like no, there'll be great series in any format. I think you should really talk about it as a more like kind of objective hypothetical than than pointing to specific examples because you never and I mean and if we didn't have double elim here, don't forget TL gets eliminated in round two where they get two owed by Cloud Nine. That's the other problem here, right? Well, really, when you look at it like from another perspective to what New York was saying with the story from DRX, right? There's more examples of better series with double lean than better series with single lean because look at just recently you get the t1 kt series on the lck and now you get the narrative that what about if we get that again in the finals or the 3-2 blg uh jdg versus vlg in lpl like you get more consistent narratives for double lean having way better series not only the final but in general because now you don't miss out on a team because of single lean you get to see them twice and see the the turnaround that they can bring forward. Like I, I always like this is one of the the, the examples that always is brought forward in 2018 with KT and IG, right? The fact that the final before the actual final, where they just three two could have been a, a double limb angle, and then maybe they come back, they win it against IG. I don't think so. IG was a better team overall in that year, and it was a KT fine, but. It's more so the, the narratives that you can build off of in the same tournament than something that you have to create because of the single limb deleting everything that you maybe expected out of a team. I think that there's better angles with the double limb than just the single limb, honestly. I think that I could see that, and I understand that I'm probably always going to be losing in terms of popular consensus on single limb versus double limb. You would be but... surprised, though. But I know there are people on my side. Right? I still think that uh, the old GBA 99 video on this topic is actually a pretty well uh, researched and well put like argument for why we should maintain single limb, especially for something like worlds. But, um, you know, I'll refer people to that if they want my full thoughts on it rather than trying to belabor the points on the podcast, because this is only kind of half of my point. Right. If it is the case that we are here to stay with double limb, should something be done about 
grand finals in order to put things in favor of the ones who made it through winner's bracket because it does. It, it, sure. Maybe double limb has its benefits, but this isn't changing the fact that C nine C lost to a team with the same record uh, that they then beat them with in grand finals. And I don't understand why one of those best of fives is somehow weighed more than the other one when it comes to placement, because sure. Yeah. Maybe uh, for us who are like heavily enfranchised, we can sit here and say, yeah, I think that both of these teams are evenly matched. There's a competitive argument for either one of them being the definitive best team in the NACL, but for marketing purposes, for payouts, for those, who aren't as deeply entrenched in the NACL. It feels disingenuous for us to herald C9C as definitive champions of this split and, you know, give them payouts to match things like that. I think that if anything should be done to the grand finals, I think it should just be a one game advantage, right? Like Dixie starts up one zero up and that's how it should go. I think making it uh, like, cause you, you brought up, I don't know if it was in the discord or if it was during the podcast, but you talked about, like how in the fighting game community, it, there's a bracket reset and you have to win basically two best of fives in a row. I think that that is exhaustive. And I think that in a quest to find out the best team, like it'll just be, I mean, that's why I made the joke earlier about like just strap them to chairs and have them play like best of 100, you know? Because it's just, I mean, both of these teams, when they're so close, it's just way too impossible to tell. And it's the same, that's true for professional sports. I think we come across this a lot. Um, like, you know, for all my... For all my, what, two professional sports fans who also like League of Legends out there, um, March Madness just happened, and people are already saying, like, hey, UConn are not a real champion because they didn't really play anybody that difficult. Well, all the best teams dropped out earlier, so it's, you know, there's always going to be people, dis- you know, saying that oh, w- the real winner is not the real winner. And so I think that if you have it, like, two best of fives, if you have it, like, you know, all the you come up with all these different concoctions. I still think people are going to say, "Well, like, well, that's unfair to one team." I think it just comes down to like, if you're going to do anything, give them a one game advantage. Congrats, you made it through the winners bracket. You have a little advantage. But if I think if I, I just think if you get too crazy with it, it's just not going to matter. People are always going to complain about the winner. That's just that's sports fans for you. And I do think that you, what you're kind of getting at here is that a bracket reset isn't viable, and I am pretty convinced that that is the case. Uh, And I think the argument that kind of sways me is while, yeah, from an online tournament perspective, I don't really see any reason why we can't just have a bracket reset and then just spread grand finals out over two days um, if it comes to pass. But obviously, then it becomes an issue of if LCS wants to run double elim, but now they have to rent out like a convention hall or they have to rent out like a stadium. uh, It would suck to have an actual bracket reset because nobody's playing two best of fives in a day. Um, But then you have a different system than what exists in the NECL, and I think that people will complain about that because obviously the extent to which you skew the outcome in favor of the people on the winner's bracket side varies from a one game advantage uh, versus a bracket reset scenario. Uh, but to clarify, my st- statement is still, yeah, I think that we should change how grand finals are done. But the thing that sways me the most is kind of like what you're alluding to. Bonfire was also recommended by Sean Atonin, uh when I was engaging in this discussion on uh, Twitter, where he recommended we run a best of seven, but we give a game advantage over to the winner side. So at most, we're playing one more game if it goes the full series. And I think that that seems like a perfectly cromulent way to kind of balance out my concerns with uh equity and whatnot with while also keeping things like realistic and entertaining and just like uh just 
quick funny point you could argue you could make it so that the the team on the winners final just takes out a player for the first game and that's their advantage and then the rest of the series they played with the rest of the five players that would be like one another angle to maybe look at it but realistically it's just that i understand the idea that if you have a similar record with the teams that you're going against here then you should have an advantage for then being able to be on the like upper finals and things like that right but that's where where i come back with the angle of like there there really isn't fairness in anything like in sports there fair isn't real there's no fairness in a lot of stuff so i feel like even if that should be the case realistically it won't happen because it also takes away from the entertainment factor that a lot of people enjoy from the sports and it's a fact that you go in equally even though it's not really equally but you go in equally and then the one that came from below wins and the narrative is that the one that came from below the lower bracket wins and that's how they build it up and that's the entertainment factor and i think that it's not going to take away because you don't want to take away from the entertainment from the spectators like Cordo was saying and that's a lot of what i feel like gives more to the spectators much more so than the fairness of the teams and it may affect the the integrity of the competition but integrity of competition has been affected since the start so i don't think that it's going to change if you want to change it now really I think to close, all I'm going to say is shout outs to Dignitas, shout outs to C9, co-champions in my heart. Co-champions. Yeah, that'll, that's that's the most entertaining result the right there. Yeah, <laughs> five to five co-champions. Um, those points aside, uh, let's talk a little bit about MVP uh, before we close Ooh. out here. So the broadcast does crown their MVP for those who or maybe not paying especially close attention. They they nominated them from five to one and, and get, made little videos about all of them, which, by the way, I, I really appreciate. I like that they kind of go bottom up and uh, and reveal who their favorite prospects are throughout the split. Um, so it is in this order. It is Prismal, then Yukino, then Copy, then Masu, and then the Most Valuable Prospect Award goes controversially over to Mir. Um so to give some background, right, quite a few folks have spoken up on Twitter and elsewhere to say, hey, you know, Mir's played in LCK, he's gone to Worlds representing Osh before, This is, and now he comes over to NA Academy. Uh, can he really be determined as a, as a prospect, right, as an award that is in theory uh, intended for a developmental piece, especially when it's been pretty publicly stated that Unforgiven was uh, not in contention. So wanna wanna talk that about that a bit on the pod. I, I have my own take, but I want to hear you guys first. Um, I think that uh, I understand the, the the argument, right? When somebody's had this success, um, obviously you don't want to. I mean, it's not even about rewarding. It's just you want to reward other players, and you know, maybe some who haven't gotten you know that attention before, and and this is their first split. Yada yada yada. I understand that talking point. I think my counterpoint would be that Mir might have gone to Worlds, but he was never like a star player for any teams. He was not a household name. He came to Team Liquid not as a LCS player that came down. Unforgiven was double lift's replacement. The whole idea was he came as double lift doesn't do well, it's Unforgiven's time. He was the reigning MVP from the LEC. And so First I, I think pro. the MVP was Niski. But was what did Unforgiven not win MVP at one point? No, he was he was okay. all pro. He's first team all pro. But first, MVP first was team all pro. 
first team all pro thank you first team all pro for the mvp's team um may i add went to worlds as well uh, where he got eliminated by na shout out eg Woo! Um, these colors don't run baby um the point i'm trying to make uh, this is long-winded but the point i'm trying to make is I think Mir deserves the award. Um, I think that he really put himself on the map with this. And I think the Unforgiven thing wasn't about his accomplishments. It was more about his namesake and what he was brought in to do. Mir was always brought in as an academy player. There was no conversation that he was going to maybe fill in for Piosik. I mean, Piosik was the jungler, right? And uh, And so I think that he deserves this. And I think that what we do need is a better understanding of what this award is. Because I think just talking about, well, he shouldn't get it and he does, I think there need to be real, like, real clear stipulations on what you need to do if you win this award. Because rookie, rookie of the Year in the NBA and the NFL and traditional sports leagues, there is a clear definition. There's a certain amount of games you can't play or need to play in order to get it. And that's why Ben Simmons won it in the second year. And everyone was confused about that. But there are clear rules. And so... I think there need to be clear rules because obviously people are confused. I had a similar approach to Bonfire until I realized, and I, 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 I'm sorry for this, guys. I legitimately didn't know for the whole of the split, by the way. So you can roast me, burn me, whatever the hell, but <laughs> Mir is Arthur. Yeah, and that Mir is thing Arthur. Is everything. Like, yeah, that, that's. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know that for for the whole of the split. Like I really I'm sorry guys you can flame me troll like I I trolled heavily. I didn't realize that Mir was Arthur and that changes everything because Arthur not only has played with Hanwen LCK, he played with Hanwen Worlds. Like that's different from playing with OCE. Like I understand OCE to a certain degree. He went with Hanwa to Worlds. That's a way different thing. Than, than just OCE. So yeah, I, I, I don't think Mir number one makes a lot of sense after that. Well, Mir Arthur, now now I'm, I'm just like perplexed. I didn't even realize it was Arthur. So yeah, I don't think it makes a lot of sense prospect because a prospect that, at least through my understanding, and that's where I agree with Bonfire, there needs to be better like understanding of where they are evaluating this sort of things. But is a prospect really a player that has even if unsuccessfully performed in the biggest stage of the world for for the game, is that really a prospect at this point? Like he's already a player. He's already he has already have a, a pretty not substantial but at least long enough career that would rival a lot of the normal players you've seen because he's played more than five years or at least five years. I think he's played four years, but yeah, four years. Okay, yeah, time. quick maths. Bad. Never do maths on on podcast or cast. But yeah, four years. That's. A, a four-hour standards, not a short career, at least for League of Legends standards, it's not a short career. So really, I, I don't think that it should fall into the prospect category. That's that I do understand now why the discourse was so big, and it's a failure on my part because I really, I really <laughs> didn't know it was Arthur. Wow. Oh, uh, so I'm gonna preface this by saying I am on board with you, TDS. Not, not about not knowing that this was Arthur. Uh, you know, I, I, I think you I didn't know that it was Arthur, right? I mean, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. But, I didn't know it was Arthur. But I agree that I'm also not super on board with Mir taking MVP or MV prospects, just as clarification purposes. It's an odd title. Um, but I think that at the same time, 
a defense can be made for this sort of selection because I think we're kind of in the too much of a traditional sports mind when it comes to how we define prospects. And the reason behind that is that there's just a far more systematized way in which we can determine who's a prospect coming out of high school, coming out of college. There is a very large pool of talent scouts. There's a very clear discourse that allows for people to build up a narrative around a player from when they're very young. Um, the thing with League of Legends is that we don't have that same kind of very systematized birth into the pro leagues. And therefore, I think that trying to determine who's a prospect with some exceptions. Uh, I think Sniper is a good example of that. Griffin maybe as well as another person you could consider a prospect uh, outside of those kinds of players. I think that it's very difficult for us to define what an actual prospect is until they hit the NACL proper and they get scouted and analyzed on the front of whatever local league that they're in. So with that in mind, I think that as long as they're in the NACL, it is justifiable to name someone and call someone a prospect even someone ancient right if wild turtle popped off this season or something and stayed in acl they could have been a prospect who's to say right um especially because we are at a point in time where i think there's a sea change regarding the maximum age and the length of careers that people expect out of esports athletes and frankly it's kind of a good thing in that realm uh that you can have someone who's been playing for four years and you can still call them a prospect right yeah i think also um I think it also comes down to like where do you draw that line because um you I think the it's not obviously the same conversation but copy has been like like do former LCS players not reach that standard like what do MV, like what if somebody gets an MVP and comes back down and so um I understand like the whole world's argument is world's the decider I mean that's where it just comes down to we need more clarification and uh like actual in this in writing because I understand the argument, but then it's like, well, where's the line drawn? Is copy okay? Is Unforgiven okay? Um, you know, what about somebody like uh, Fake God? Like, you know, has been in the LCS for quite a while. You know, where's the line get drawn? Or Hunter. And so, well, yeah, exactly, or Hunter. And so um, I think that the fact that he was at Worlds with HLE two years ago or three years ago is kind of crazy. And the fact that he got rookie is kind of crazy. Um, but it, 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 I think it just lends, it actually adds to my point of, where's the line where do people draw the line and um yeah you know i think there just needs to be more clarity just a quick thing i want to just because i just realized it wasn't uh, he was being humble but he wasn't in words that year yeah just to clarify because i do remember he's a split with Hanwa. he was really bad but i do remember it he went with words just with the oc okay just yeah he was a sub there. at worlds that year yeah, but that team was hard carried by Chovy too, right? That was the Chovy. Yeah, but like, like he yeah. wasn't really a he part of it playing. in that run, in the run through Worlds. Like they, I, I saw the like, uh, what is it called, the regionals, and it was Yuhan and Wheeler that were there, not Arthur at that. Point. Oh, they, he didn't even go. All right, well. No, with yeah, that's exactly. I thought the same because I remember his year in that. He was bad, but <laughs> yeah, it wasn't with Hanwha. It was with the OZ. I remember that. Yeah, just well, clarification. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, right, I, and I think I do to some degree appreciate the degree of flexibility they have with crowning MVP. I do think, like, the fact that it's even called MVP, right, is, like, they're immediately blurring the lines. Like, I think he just, like, yeah. I think maybe you should just introduce a rookie of the split or something the way that LCS does, right? Just give it, give it, give a rookie, maybe don't call it rookie of the split, you know, call it newcomer of the split or something, because they're not true rookies. They'll be rookies in the pro league, not in the minor league. But, you know, d- 
something like that and then mvp can be you know best player in nacl or something like that yep. or you know best most likely to be promoted or something like that because i do think like i think it was i was pretty on board with giving it to dokla a year ago right and even though dokla had previously played an lcs and optic and it played a bunch of splits in academy on optic academy and tsm academy um before being dropped down to amateur and then he came back up and played on TL Academy and then he played on CLG Academy where he finally won his most valuable prospect. Like I think that was deserved, right? He had a huge turnaround and had pretty much reinvented himself as a player. Um and I mean and it and like the turn like the 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 title most valuable prospect has like become true, right? Like Dokla was an outside all pro contender for top lane this split, um, from having play been playing an amateur like a year before. That's that's a crazy turnaround, right? Uh, and, you know, he really was the most valuable prospect that year in that sense, in that he did come to LCS and he was incredibly valuable there and he has netted CLG quite a few wins. And with that said, I do, I do want to call out here, I think some of that, like, and, and this is not to hate on the broadcast. I love the broadcast guys. They're all, I really like most of what they've done, this split with content and everything. But they do have it like they do love to bring up their criteria, and their criteria is just like it's just BS, man. I'm gonna be honest with you here. Like their criteria is like if you were to promote this player to the LCS, how many wins would they get you in the next year? And then the year after that, how many wins would they get you? And those wins count as double. And it's like, what are you talking? Just tell me who you think the best prospect is, man. Like, how are you trying to calculate the number of wins they're going to earn in two it's years war, on a mystery team? Like, what is that? There's no way you're doing Like, there's no, like, that's, that's such pseudoscience. There's no way you're doing that in any, like, meaningfully reliable or scientific way. Just say who you think has the most potential and, like, be honest about it. It's, like, it's a it's a weird it's weird that they bring this up so often as, like, their, their supposedly objective criteria when it's really just who do we think has the most potential but with extra steps. But Gordo, what if Mir only had one arm and had to play with his feet? You never thought about that, did you? And that's why he's most valuable. God, just, you know, they know what they're doing, surely. I can't wait for the Moneyball-style documentary where people try to calculate the sabermetrical value of X player in a situation versus the norm, right? Uh, and that's how we determine MVP from now on, guys. You could probably ask Torres, and he's going to find a numerical value to determine oh, that true. sort of thing oh, for gangling. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will say, though, like thinking about the criteria, right? Even if it's MVP or for most valuable player, most valuable prospect, anything like that. The thing that surprises me more, most, most about Mir, apart from the fact that I didn't know he was Archer, but apart from that, the thing that surprises me the most is the fact that do they, when do they start counting for that? Because regular season Mirror is not even a smidget of what playoff Mirror was. So really, when do they start counting for that? Was that with regular season into account or just the games that they play for playoffs? But then Mirror has more playoff games than essentially all the other players here. So like, where do you really start counting for these players and where do you really value them? Uh, it's kind of my weird thing because Mir, for just regular season, he is nowhere near close any of the other players in my eyes. Masu as well, regular season-wise, probably falls down a bit, but that's outside conditions, but still falls down a bit. 
So it's really weird to me to see it like this. Yeah, I don't think it's meant to be just a regular season award. I think it is meant to... So it's in general. I think it's supposed to factor in the first few rounds of playoffs. I also, I also think it's like, that's the thing, right? Is that because it's most valuable prospect and because it's how many wins you'll get a team in one year and how many wins you'll get them in two years with that weighted double uh they yeah. don't like they don't feel the need to, like it's not a regular season award right it's not about who did the best in the regular season it's about who will be the best it's about who has the most potential right like they, they, again it's it's that with a bunch of extra steps but it's really about who do you think has the most potential to get wins in the lcs in the future um and i think they're willing to take all the games into account there i don't think it's ostensibly a regular season award then, then it gets even weirder because in that sense, then Diplex perfectly qualifies for that with just a few sample sizes, and he wins. So I would perfectly, like, I would argue he should be here. And, like, Perry's robbed, or by the way. Like, it's crazy that Perry Perry's not well, here Yeah, I would think Perry and, and Diplex should be here over uh, either, uh, I wouldn't say copy, but let's say the other, the four and number five. They deserve to be here. Diplex particularly to me. He really performed well in the in everything that he had to go here, and I think his LCS level, he just simply was in the best LCS team that wanted to have an even better mid laner. That's unlucky. If we're going to start voting for Diplex for MVP, I think that we should just recommend that all of our listeners refer back to our episode where we started crowning some of our superlatives in the regular season. And you just say, hey, you know, that's what that's our MVP. You know, Transla I think they translate relatively well over through the playoffs with a few alterations. But, you know, our completely arbitrary categorizations and uh, standards, you know, may actually be a better representation of who we takes MVP right. Yeah, than our system, than the system we saw for the actual NACL. I I wanted to bring this up just in case, but I know we don't have time, but I wanted to kind of think back to our initial ranking of all the teams and see back to how it ended up being. <laughs> and you can really just see how crazy we'll do that could be that could be supplemental content or something. We'll do we'll do like one episode for that. Maybe after we do promos next week. Which it's really something special. <sighs> coming for promos next week by the way there will be some announcement on twitter or something of what we're doing Plug. yeah i think you know that's our hour though i mean i don't think we, we don't want to keep everybody here too long uh as that's gonna do it for our n8cl split we're gonna be back next week talking about promotions i think back at our regularly scheduled time by the way we've been uh We've definitely been on one day later for most of playoffs because of the schedule changes. I think we'll be back to Thursday mornings next week. So we will see you guys there to talk about the promotion tournament, find out who may potentially be joining the NACL in the next split uh, and what changes that's going to bring as well. Uh, and then that's going to wrap up the whole split, baby, and we're probably going to take some break before we get into the summer and do it all again. But thank you all for tuning in. And we will see you all next time.